episode of Currently Binging, the podcast about all things TV and movies. If you're listening for the first time, welcome. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to my voice on. Also, take a few extra seconds, rate, comment, all greatly appreciated. So you guys, super excited because we are talking about probably my most anticipated show of 2021, which is Outer Banks, and it is clearly everyone else's who listens to this podcast most anticipated show because you guys have to this day been listening to Outer Banks season one. My discussion that I did after season one dropped last year. Go back, listen to that discussion. If you have not, uh, you will know that I thought that it was the most insane ride that I have been on in a while. It also was like the beginning of when everything um, in the past year started. So everything has shut down. Everyone was stuck at home. (laughs) And it was kind of in that period where you were like, oh, optimistic. So it was pretty chill and relaxed. At least I was um, while I was watching this show. And I tell you guys, I'm like, I'm trying not to say everything I said in that episode, but like I literally shit you not when I was watching that show, I started late in the day. I say this if you go listen to the episode. I started late in the day. So by the time we got to the end, I think I had like two episodes left. It was well after midnight. I was like, oh, I'm going to go to sleep. But then every stuff just kept happening. And I literally could not turn the program off. And by the time we got to the end of that final episode, I was just like, what the fuck just happened? So you guys know that I thought that this was the most insane ride of a show. And so I was excited to talk about a season two. If you listened for a while, then you know that I'm always like, we don't need a season two. But this show, I was like, no, we need a season two. And there are just way too many questions that need to be answered. So we got our renewal. We got season two. And I am even more excited to discuss season two. So before we get into that discussion, I have to give all of my warnings. So this is a spoiler filled podcast. So if you don't want to be spoiled, I would suggest that you stop right here and not continue to listen. I'm going to spoil everything. I am a, or this is a solo hosted podcast. So I have to keep my own self accountable and therefore we're probably going to go all over the place. We're not going to go in a straight line. (laughs) It might feel a little jumbled. If that is not your thing, then definitely feel free to stop listening here. But yeah, we're going to go all over. We're going to reference everything. We're probably going to discuss some things from season one as well. I would hope if you're listening to the season two discussion that you already watched season one. Otherwise, what is confusion? (laughs) So let's get into this. Uh, Outer Banks season two. So this dropped on Friday, July 30th. And I contemplated with myself because this is how excited I was about season two dropping. I was like, okay, Eva, do we wait and uh, see, like wait until... Friday during the day to watch or do we start this when it once it drops at midnight and you know I'm a I'm a little older so when it comes to like (laughs) be like oh I'm gonna go to sleep uh I do tend to choose sleep over staying up and watching something because I'm gonna fall asleep regardless if I don't want to but it was a little after 12 it was like 12 20 something a.m in the morning on friday and i was like okay i still feel like i have some energy let's just do one episode eva and then we'll go to sleep (laughs) started the first episode which was the goal because i just literally i could not hold out and wait to watch it because I was just like, I want to know what the fuck happened after that insane <laughs> finale that we got for season one. So I watched episode one and then I watched episode two and I forced myself to go to sleep. So I did go to sleep. So I watched two episodes a little bit after the episodes first dropped on Netflix. And then I watched the rest of the episodes during the after, like the evening into 
early Saturday morning. So like I literally sat and I finished it. There was no like, oh, we're going to put this up. No, we, this was a true binge moment. So we did binge this. There were 10 episodes, which was the same as the first season. Um, we had 10 episodes as well in the first season. So it wasn't really anything too drastically different as far as episode count. So I was just like, okay, this is one of those shows. I don't, I can't remember if I said this for season one, but this is one of those shows where it's just so many insane things that happen. Just you're like, I feel like we could have went in here, probably tightened it up a little bit and could have got it down to like eight episodes to be completely honest. Cause there were just so many random things that happens. But I, <laughs> I feel like at this point, it aids to the insanity that is the show. <laughs> so we are, we start this all off with episode one. And you guys know, even though I do talk about shows, I don't like to like recap the entire thing because my assumption is that if you're listening to um, me discuss this, then you've already watched it. And I'm generally just talking about some of like the moments in, throughout the show that I want to talk about versus like recapping the entire thing, which to me doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't really make sense for me to do, <laughs> but there is that. So um, we have the golden voiceover, which you guys know, I, and I'm going to, you guys are going to get sick of me saying this, so I'm just going to say it right now. I'm probably going to say this a lot throughout this episode. If you listen to my original discussion or my season one discussion or something along those lines, I'm probably going to say it a hundred thousand times. So just prepare for that. But if you listen <laughs> to my season one discussion, I talked a lot about the voiceover uh, and why I was hesitant to, to why I was hesitant to even watch the show because the voiceover really, really was like not convincing. I don't really like voiceovers anyway. Like if the if one of the cast or the characters is going to narrate throughout the entire thing. Like to me, it doesn't really make sense unless there are a few cases where I'm like, oh, okay, it makes sense to do on every episode. So when we got it in season one and I was just like, I don't feel like we need this throughout every episode. And I hope I'm not going to get this on every episode, which thankfully we didn't. But season two, we had to start with a voiceover, which I was like, okay, whatever. But we started off, we are back with, uh, John B and Sarah, they have hitched a ride on a boat with, with a bunch of shady people while they also have, um, a, well, not them, but John B has a warrant on his head. <laughs> they are looking for him and everyone back in OBX thinks that or believes that Sarah and John B are dead. So you kind of get to see like how their friends and family are dealing with that information, which is really sad when you think about it. Like for some, for you to believe like someone you love and care about is dead and then, but they're really not. And then when you get to that moment where you find out they're not, we had a, we, we had a few of those this season, which also adds to the insanity of this show. The show is, <laughs> the show is just insane. <laughs> so, uh, that's kind of where we left off with them because in season one, when we ended, they like rolled off into the middle of, I guess it was a heart. I don't even know what this was. It was an, a one water storm. I don't know what the technical term I would think it would be hurricane, but I don't know if it was a hurricane. So we're just going to say a storm. They rolled off into a storm and then their boat was destroyed. Everyone watching from the shore thought they were dead, but then we know that they ended up pitching a ride on this boat. And so that's kind of where we um, begin off and they are going to NASA Bahamas to try to get the gold. <laughs> Insanity immediately. So the biggest difference I think between season two and season one is that with season one, it felt like we built up to the insanity that was the like last couple of episodes of season one. While for season two, we started off straight from the gate with insanity. And you're, you guys are probably gonna get sick of me saying insanity a lot, but we started off straight out the gate with insanity. And it was just like, we never had a moment to come down from it throughout this entire season. It was just like, we started high and we kept at that high level. There were no like peaks and balances. I mean, I guess you could make a case for some moments 
probably towards the middle. But it was just like, every time you thought like, oh, maybe we would chill out or things would uh, settle down. It was like, oh no, <laughs> ramping right back up. So like we start out the gate like at 100,000. I literally wrote that as a note. And um, I my only note for season or season one for episode one, outside of the fact that we had the voiceover, was that there were so many dumb moves. There were so many dumb decisions made throughout this entire season from literally everyone, specifically our main characters, which include John B., Sarah, Kiara, Pope, and JJ, which JJ is the king of bad decisions and choices. So it's not really surprising coming from him, but everyone across the board were making dumb decisions. So John B's like, first of all, they go on the run because John B's photos everywhere and their shady um, transporters are like, oh, we're about to come up on some money. So they're already on the run for that. And then uh, they decide to hide out at a hotel and John B makes the dumb decision that he's going to go to Sarah's family's uh, house to see if the gold is in there, which of course starts a chain of events of them being found, like their location being found out. And their shade, their shady uh, pursuit pursuiters, <laughs> which consists of uh, the the two guys' names are me at the moment because they eventually end up dying but we also have Cleo here which in hindsight it makes sense for that whole like everything that happened in the Bahamas but while you're watching it and once we get like once we get back to Outer Banks um or like once everything shifts back to Outer Banks as far as like no longer needing needing to be in the Bahamas it was just like why I <laughs> I was like, why did we have this whole Bahamas moment? Like, yeah, the goal was there, but they essentially ended up moving the goal from the Bahamas. Just, it was just that John B and Sarah being there trying to get the money, like expedited the process of them moving the money. But towards the middle, once we, the timeline shifts, or not the timeline, but the location shifts from it being like the split location where we had Sarah and John B in the Bahamas and then everyone else in uh, Outer Banks, once they get back to Outer Banks, I was just like, why were we in the Bahamas? <laughs> like, doesn't make sense. But of course, you know, an insane show cannot be an insane show without it being having a convoluted storyline. So like, it all ties back once we get to the very end. But it's just like, in the moment, you're like, this is all insane, only for them to go. So they rolled off into the storm, almost died, end up in the Bahamas. Had they been smart about it, they could have easily gotten the gold. I don't think that they really planned. I mean, no one plans on this in this show. <laughs> but I just felt like there weren't really any legit plans on how they were going. Yeah, they had they were like, oh, we're gonna do this, but there were no plans on how they could successfully complete their missions, if that makes sense. For example, them getting the gold. So had they planned it out. They've been like, oh, even even if they were on the run, I feel like they still could have had some sort of plan. Where it's like, oh, we know the gold is probably there somewhere. Uh, when we when John B first goes, he finds out like, oh, I think the gold is in this cabinet. But then when they go back with Sarah and Cleo and the other pursuit pursuiters, <laughs> um, she's. And she and they find out like, oh, the combination is Sarah's birthday, which is like, duh. So how we only had the one trip where they went to get the go, then like they possibly could have escaped had they had like a better plan versus them trying to sneak in and do it and then set off alarms. And then that whole thing that happened with them getting caught and not even being able to get the gold. But even after all that was happening, I was like, even if they got the gold, how are they going to transport it? Like it never, I don't think they ever really thought about that. So when they start working with the pursuiters, you can be like, oh, well, they can help them transport the gold or be able to move the gold from one place to another place. But it's just like everything, like they constantly had people on their tail. There was just no way that they were successfully going to be able to move the gold. Even the plan once, um, what's her name? Sarah's daddy and, uh, you know, everyone has weird names in here, which I forgot. So as we were watching this and uh, we were 
everyone was saying their names. I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot this show has the most random names. So as Topper and, or not Topper, as Rafe and Ward show up in the Bahamas and, and Sarah's like, okay, John B, you're no longer in charge of doing the plans. It's all going to be on me. I'm going to do the planning. But I was like, yeah, she did the planning. But as that whole thing was unfolded, I was like, this is still like, you guys are still continuing to make dumb moves. Initially, you're like, oh, it might work. But it's always something. So when they do, when they, when they are able to take the truck, <laughs> they have that whole moment where um, Ward realizes like, oh my gosh, Sarah's actually alive. And you have crazy ass Rafe who has been crazy since season one and needs actual legitimate help that his parents don't seem, or his father and stepmom don't seem to want to give him or get him. Like does not, I was so frustrated with everything that was going on with Rafe because he clearly needs some type of intervention professional help and his parents are just like oh no it's okay it's right for we're, we're gonna figure out we're gonna deal with it as he continues to leave a trail of bodies behind him like <laughs> does not make sense so you have ward and crazy ass rafe with a with a gun waving it around and so you had a whole moment when they stopped because of course Sarah's gonna stop. She's not gonna be like, my whole thing is like, you made this plan, you're gonna steal um, money from your, or steal this gold back from your father, which I mean, is it really stealing if it technically is not really his? And we're gonna get into this because this is what we're, when we get to like the main, main, like all the realizations and revelations that happened throughout the season, I was feeling a little frustrated, not gonna lie, but we're gonna get there in a minute. We're still on the first the first part of this because it was just craziness. So, of course, she had that whole moment, but she has this whole plan like, oh, we're going to steal this. So if that's your plan and you're like, you know you're working against time, like, I get frustrated when characters are like stopping to do things that just do not make sense. Stop and have this intimate moment where we're going to almost kiss. Stop and be like, oh, I'm feeling emotion because like I'm doing something that's affecting you or I haven't seen my father. Like, yeah, they're kids. I know that. But it was still super frustrating. So had Sarah not stopped, then there is a higher probability that she probably would not have gotten shot. And then we wouldn't have had the whole craziness that happened with her needing to go <laughs> get saved, which, oh my gosh, the, you guys might as well buckle in because this is going to be, I have a feeling this is going to be a lengthy one. So... <laughs> So you have that whole thing where um, she stops Rafe because he's crazy or he's he has some issues that are not being professionally dealt with. He decides to try to shoot John B, but of course he misses. Sarah gets hit, so they can't even drive the truck off, but they let the pursuers take it to the boat. And they're like, oh, you got to be back by a certain amount of time or we're going to leave you. Then we get to this whole storyline where they go to the doctor <laughs> Sarah literally dies and she's bought back. I was just like, how does this add? How does this add anything? When you look at it in hindsight, what did that add to the overall story outside the fact that Sarah was limping for a good portion of, or in slow in movement for a good portion of this season post coming back from the Bahamas? Like, I don't know. I, you would think if one thing it would prove that Rafe is dangerous, but even still, it took him literally choking her and trying to kill her with his actual bare hands for her to realize that, yeah, he's crazy, but no, he, or I don't want to say crazy. Yeah, he is sick, but he's like really sick, sick, sick and needs like actual help. And even with her father, so like everything in the Bahamas happens, the two male pursuers end up dying in a standoff with the police, but Cleo ends up escaping. She ends up helping um, John B and Sarah escape and they get on a boat. This is where I was like, okay, what is going on? Because in tandem with this, you have everything that's going on in the Outer Banks, which John B reached out to the rest of the Pogues and was like, oh, FYI, we're still alive like try to clear my name because they're, they have, they have been pending 
<laughs> that doesn't even make sense. They um, pinned Sheriff Peterkin's uh, death or murder on him, which is why he couldn't. They couldn't come back to Outer Banks, and so they're on this boat. And I'm just like, I literally tried to. I tried to, to do this through Google, Google Maps, but I was just like, how long is the boat ride from? from Outer Banks to the Bahamas because when they end up back on land, John B and Sarah, I thought they were like still like in the near, like on the island or somewhere around the island. No, I had no clue. It didn't even hit me that they were back in um, Outer Banks. So when you have that whole moment when they steal the money from the guy and then they're on the run and then you had the attempted kidnap of Pope by what was her name, Limbray and her brother. I was just like, which, <laughs> like I said, we are only on, that whole thing happened. I gotta go through my notes. That whole thing happened. So this is episode four. <laughs> I literally, I'm looking at my notes now. I literally put in episode three, the chain of events have been unnecessary. It literally has been unnecessary. <laughs> But we get to episode four, Homecoming, which I was like, why is this episode called Homecoming? Because like, who's coming home? I was like, oh, are they going to get home? But how are they going to get home? Like, I still was trying to figure that out. So when John B and Sarah end up on land and they steal the money and they're on the run and then Pope goes and visits Limbre, gets the, the very weird note from Clara Limbre and goes to meet her. He almost gets kidnapped, which was like, it was because you're still, you're still on a high because of everything that just happened in the Bahamas. And then you're like, and you're with the rest of the pose and you're just like, what, what the hell, what the hell? So that whole thing is happening. So then they're on a run and then you just see, uh, John B and Sarah right past. And I was like, wait a minute, they're back, <laughs> they're back in the U S or they're back in like, where are they? North Carolina, South Carolina. I don't know. They're back in the Outer Banks or the city that the kids I went to to meet the person for, um, or to meet Limbre for, um, to get more info that they thought were relevant to the case, which it was because she had an actual recording of um, the guy who Ward ends up killing. Which, oh my gosh, I need to talk about that too. Oh my gosh, it's so much to talk about. So many, so many insane things happened on this. But um, she had a recording from the guy who was a pilot talking, pretty much saying like, Rafe is the one who killed Peterkin. So you have all that going on. But in this, we find out um, even more about um, Denmark Tanny, who was a slave or who was the slave who was free and ended up freeing um, other slaves and like essentially the gold and everything that has been the biggest driver throughout this entire show is essentially his and everyone else has just been stealing from him. <laughs> so come to find out that Pope is in his lineage, which is not surprising. I, It was pretty clear that was where we were going um, as, especially when we got to this whole moment when he goes to the house and he finds out and she's telling him that story and I'm like, this isn't really, and she's asking about a key and I'm like, oh, he must, he has to be related to Tanny in some way. So, and which is confirmed uh, later on when he goes and asks his father about the key. And then his father's like, oh, she's, his grandmother used to wear this key. And then Pope finds the key in his grandmother's old apartment. And then he goes and talks to her. And then she confirms that they are descendants of Tanny. So I was like, oh my gosh. I can see how this can be triggering for um, specifically black people watching this. Because it was semi-triggering for me, which is why I struggled... Like, after it was confirmed that Pope was a descendant of Tanny and, like, all this is, all this shit is literally his family's and all these white people keep stealing from his family because now we're going on the whole, I know I'm jumping all around. We're going to circle, we're going to circle back in a minute, but we have the whole thing with him trying to find the cross of, I literally wrote it down because I was going to forget it, cross of Santo Domingo, which was essentially his. And the Limbres who, when you look at it, at it in history, are the ones who essentially tried to steal from him. Then you have like the same thing going on. Like by the time Pope snapped, I was about to snap. Cause I was just like, this is fucking ridiculous. But, um, <laughs> so you have that. But before we get too ahead of ourselves, I do want to talk about this because 
before um, the gang regroups and it's like, oh, you're you're alive, you're home. Oh, we love you, we missed you, all that. Before we get to the kumbaya moment, which is what we're all waiting for. You guys know when it comes to like these big cast type of or multi-cast, main cast, I don't even know what to call it, group, main group cast. I don't know. When, we, when it comes to these things, these shows are based around like friendship and all these things. I love when all the friends are together or if they're, it's like a team. I love when the team's together. Like, I think those are the best moments. And I always talk about that. So like, of course, that's what I was waiting for. But we had a moment when Pope, JJ, and Kira follow Ward because they're trying to get evidence to essentially clear John B's name. They follow him to when he meets up with the pilot and I'm like, okay, everything's going good. Like Pope has a camera, he's filming it. Like after they did the whole like listening in on the call, they couldn't record it, but they were listening on the call. And so that's how they ended up following him to the, to the meetup. Pope is recording it. And then they see him kill the pilot. And so then like literally all the shit hits the fan. <laughs> and Kiara, she shouts out, murderer or something like that and I was just like why would she do that it did not make sense to me like she that was the most frustrating thing as a viewer because I was just like why did she scream I wrote as a note curiously you know my MNF nerves <laughs> and uh it was just like it was unnecessary so had she not screamed then it would not have set off the chain of events when they had to essentially run for their lives and they end up fumbling and the camera ends up getting damaged and they end up losing that footage. So it was just like unnecessary, but you know, whatever. If we gotta make a way to continue the story, I guess. But it was just like, girl, what is wrong with you? And she was just always on a hundred. And I was just like, calm down, like slow your roll. Even when you like get further into it and you have those moments, with her, um, between her mom and dad. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> girl, one, calm down. Two, if I was your mama, I'm just saying like, rein it in. But anyway, so I had to, I had to talk about that. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is insane. Uh, the one other note from homecoming, this is where I was like, Rafe clearly needs help and his parents are no help. They're selfish. <laughs> They really literally are. And for all the nonsense that Ward was um, spewing about, like, oh, I'm going to keep my family together. This is for my family. And even um, what is her name? The stepmom's name, which is escaping me at the moment. But even her, Rose, she's, oh, she's a little, got a few, few screws loose as well because she's just like condoning all of this. And even she, you can see the realization in her, um, face whenever Ward would like tell her anything in relation to Rafe that she clearly is like oh he needs help or oh there may be something wrong with him but like she's not attempting to give him the help that he needs so that entire family is at fault <laughs> this is when I was over it because I literally wrote all caps for episode four there have been there have been so many dumb decisions made like so many <laughs> I also put, at least they changed their clothes talking about um, Sarah and John B because they had literally been in the same clothes for almost four full episodes. And then when they finally meet back up with the Pogues, they change their clothes. But then they make the dumb decision where it's like, oh, well, we're not going to go home. So we should just hang out or whatever. Excuse me. Everyone thinks you guys are dead. So you're just going to casually hang out and not think that people are going to see you and be like, be like, oh, FYI, Sarah and John B aren't really dead. So I thought that that was them. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, when, and so that's when it all leads up to Sarah being like, oh, I'm going to go talk to my dad and I can make him see it. And everyone's looking at her like, girl, no, you're, 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 you don't know your daddy. Like that's your daddy, but you seem not to understand that he is willing to do anything to make sure Rafe does not take the fall for killing Peter Kim. So, um, that's when they had 
she went to the house and then the police have followed her back to where the kids were hiding out and then they saw the police coming and I wrote JJ be ready to die because he be he be on 10,000 anytime violence is concerned he be ready to go and I just feel like I need like in my subconscious I'm like I need somebody like that in my team but then I'm also like but then they would probably get us killed because JJ be ready. He literally thought he was finna take out the entire squad that showed up with like heavy duty armory with his handgun. I was like, oh my gosh, poor JJ. Or not poor JJ, but like, oh, JJ, like. <laughs> so that was that. And so then we have the whole thing where um, we find out that they're going to throw the death, the death penalty at john b and i was like okay this seems a little bit harsh and also unrealistic and like some type of small town type of <laughs> ruling because wait a minute so even with that to see like war didn't care of course rape didn't care like they were just all about saving their own behinds it was just like so ridiculous and then um that's when we were like, oh, that's when JJ had the failed jailbreak attempt where I was just like, you guys know, I, JJ grew on me a lot. He had the very emotional moment. Um, he has a he had a few emotional moments last season between him and his dad because he found out that his dad was abusive towards him. So like JJ ends up like being one of those, one of those characters that kind of like pulls on your heartstrings and you want to root for him and you want him to like succeed even though he makes a lot of dumb decisions but you know a lot of that is tied to kind of like his life and his upbringing and he always like even throughout this season when anyone's like even especially with the jail hold jail break um situation where he, he kept being like oh I'm gonna end up in jail anyway like it's just like that whole defeated type of a um, mentality that he has so like JJ is one of those characters where it's like you really do feel a lot of sympathy. If you can't feel sympathy for any of the characters, I feel like JJ is one you can definitely feel sympathy for. Pope is one you can definitely feel sympathy for. Like John B, Sarah, yeah. But like, I feel like as far as like this, as far as story-wise and kind of like what's going on in each kid's life, like John B, you feel sympathy for, for him because like he's essentially an orphan. And like a lot of his story is tied, like he's the main character. So like everything is tied to his main story. So it's like a no brainer. Sarah, I have my moments. I struggle a little bit because I'm just like, eh. uh, you guys already know. Cause I already said Kara is like, <laughs> I just want to shake her. <laughs> Cause it's not even sympathy. It's just like, I just think she needs, she needs a reality check, but like, yeah. So anyway. He had the failed jailbreak attempt and went just when they, I think that was a really good scene because it was up to, you saw him like reach out to uh, Kiara and be like, oh, I need like SOS, I need to be helped. But you weren't sure, like, at least as I'm watching, I'm like, I don't know how they would be able to get you out of the situation. So it was literally up into the very last millisecond where you're like, oh shit, JJ going, JJ's going to jail. Like there's no getting out of this. And then they swoop in and save him. So that was like a, Oh my gosh. Um, episode five was also when Pope found the key at his granny's house and um, talked to his granny and she confirmed that they were descendants of Denmark Tanny. And then we also find out that, uh, what's his name? Shoop was also doing his job and collecting evidence so that they could actually take down Ward and Rafe. So that's how John B was able to get out of jail because they had evidence thanks to the kids being able to find the gun and turn it over. And he did run prints or prints on it. And so they tied a print or they tied prints on the bullets back to Rafe. So John B got out of jail. And then we move into this is like the end of episode six, early episode, or end of episode five, early episode six. I feel like it's easier to do this by episode because so, so much craziness happened versus trying to do it like character by character like I usually do because, <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah, so uh, this is when Rafe 
essentially has Wheezy's phone. Sarah thinks she's talking to Wheezy because she's like trying to check on her because Sarah hasn't been staying at home. She's been staying with Pokes through all of this. And she doesn't know that Rafe has Wheezy's phone and he, as Wheezy tells her to meet on the docks where he attempts to murder her <laughs> by choking her to death. But then Topper appears and I'm just like, I literally wrote, first of all, why was Topper at the docks? Is he stalking her? I literally wrote that. I was just like, that doesn't even make sense. Why are you there? That just feels like a random place to like pop up out the shadows on. <laughs> like, no. So he pops up, he saves her. She doesn't even question it. I mean, she did go through like a traumatic experience. Her own brother just tried to murder her with his own hands. But like, still, I'd be like, but why were you at the docks? <laughs> So she doesn't ask that, but I also was like, when he takes her back to his house or whatever, I was like, I wrote this as a note as well. I was like, I feel like he's low key kidnapping her. Cause it, it was just so weird. Topper gives me like cringe creeper vibes, hardcore. Like the first season I wasn't really getting out, but this entire season I was, it was really, really weird. So anyway, uh, yeah, and so then this is when Ward decides because you know they're on his they're on his ass literally. They already have a warrant out for Rafe's um, arrest, but of course Rafe is in hiding. Shout out to his friend. I can't remember his name, but he's the one that was like his character is ridiculous. <laughs> He was ridiculous the first season. He's still ridiculous. Barry, oh my gosh. Uh, this why it's like, you can't trust anybody because while Rafe and Ward forgot that Barry, that Barry got choked up by Ward in season one, Barry didn't forget. Because as soon as he heard that Rafe was gonna try to get up out of town, he made a deal with the police and turned them in. <laughs> So he was looking stupid. Uh, Rafe was looking stupid. So Rafe ends up in jail, and Ward Ward ends up getting a warrant out for his arrest as well. And so they go to the house to try to uh, what's the word? Con I don't know. They go to they go to his house to arrest him, and that's when Topper tells Sarah what is going on. And she runs there and Ward is on his boat. He's being belligerent. He's like, I am not going in or whatever. Sarah, why are you here? You shouldn't be here. And it was just like, oh, he's about to kill himself. And then the boat explodes. When we get to the final episode and see that Ward is still alive, I'm like, I'm not surprised. Like people faking their ducks on boats is not a new story. So that really was not that surprising for him to be still alive and honestly it makes sense because like <laughs> look who's playing Ward is Charles Esten Charles Esten which I, I feel like I talked about this when I talked about it, um season one but I think this is the first show where I've seen Charles Esten be like the villain and I don't know how I feel about it because he plays a good a good villain like he plays someone who you want to hate like if you think about Nashville he kind of played like this very sympathetic, even more so towards the end. But in the beginning, he was like, you still knew like this was the character you wanted to love and you were going to root for. Um, even though in the beginning, like you, he had all his issues with like alcoholism and all of that. Even with all knowing all of that, it, he was still like a character you rooted for. I'm not going to spoil Nashville, guys. Don't worry. Even though like it's been forever since it's been on TV and you can literally watch it on multiple streaming services, but we're not going to spoil it here. But you compare that character to uh, Ward here and it's just like night and day, like night and day types of, type of characters. So yeah. Um, but then we had the whole moment when the boat blew up and Sarah felt some type of way because she saw uh, John B's face when Ward died. But then you had Topper like literally clinging onto her. I was just like, this guy, I don't understand why he's here, <laughs> but you know, okay. Um, but you had Topper like catch her as she like literally falls out. And um, 
John B is just standing there. And so that was a discussion about like, it was almost like satisfaction when you saw that, saw him die. But it was like, and I wrote this as a note, this is a very tricky situation that they find themselves in because you're talking about, first of all, they're all kids, <laughs> which is one thing. We're not even gonna talk, about, we probably will at some point before I wrap this discussion up about like parental involvement because it's very limited across the board. It seems like Kira's parents and Pope's father seem to be the most invested in their children's whereabouts, but then you compare that, but that's because like, John B is essentially an orphan. Well, at least we thought he were, but based on how things ended, he's not. <laughs> and um, JJ's father is abusive and has been in jail and essentially is now escaping. He's never gonna see him again. So it's kind of like you have two very different sets of parents. Um, but then also the kids' reactions to their parents are very different where Kiara is very resistant and almost volatile towards her parents and how and how they want to raise her where they feel like the only thing they can do is send her away because she's not listening, which I'm like, I mean, girl, at this point, that's pretty much what needs to happen because like you're still like, a child. I think they're only like 16, 17. So like, girl, you're young. Um, versus like a Pope where his father does discipline him. I believe, was it in season one where we saw him get, his father was like, <laughs> y'all know I love when the parents get the kids together. Cause I'm just like, these kids be out of hand. <laughs> um, so his father's like very hands-on and is like, no, like, you need to have your, your shit together, essentially. So there's, they're very, two very different sets of parents, but it's a very tricky situation because you have John B, who at in his reality of what he knows, because only we, the viewers, and Limbre know that his father is not dead, but we he is like, your father killed my father. So therefore, like, I have no sympathy for him dying versus uh, Sarah being the one who's essentially in the middle because that's her father. But she's also with John B with their faux marriage, which I'm you guys notice I haven't really talked about that, huh? Because <laughs> I'm not going to like, no, I'm in the whole thing with them. OK, I guess we are the whole thing with them um, being like getting upset with each other because they're not telling people like specific people that they're married but then Sarah doesn't want to tell everyone that they're married I'm just like one y'all aren't even really legally married but then like you guys are like 16 17 no this is going to get interesting if you if you um stick around and listen to my all-american episode because for season what is it three because oh my gosh there is so much to unpack <laughs> from that season, and it involved teen marriage. But anyway, so I was just like, you know what, we're not, whatever. But <laughs> but yeah, so it's a very sticky, um, tricky situation to be in. And you can kind of, not even kind of, you can sympathize with both for their, for their specific situation. So, yeah. Oh, so then we get to episode seven and I was just like, that's when we had the bonfire, which we all know what happened in season one at the bonfire, ended in a fight. Season two was no different, also ended in a fight. But we were spending a lot of time with, this is when Topper or Sarah was like staying with Topper and all this. And I wrote, <laughs> I feel like we're trying to do a redemption arc for Topper, but I don't want it. I really don't want it. Topper is not a character. I don't care how we spin it, shift it, smash it, relax it. <laughs> that even makes sense. Like, you guys know what I'm saying. I don't care how we try to look at it. Topper is just a very creepy individual. And I'm just like, I just don't feel like I want to be sympathetic or like root for him at all. And especially when we find out how that he has been stalking Sarah because he's been tracking her phone. I'm just like, 
one, boundaries, but two, boundaries. So like, no, I just I was like not here for any illusion or uh, what's the word for any hint of a redemption for him from season one, because I literally do not want it. And we find out that about the whole phone thing in episode eight, but, oh, I put, there was one quote that I put from Pope, and which I don't actually have a lot of quotes that I wrote down from this season, <laughs> but he said, love is fine, because him and, uh, this is also where he and Kira actually hook up, where I was just like, oh, it's going to be weird. Like, and I think the other thing that frustrates me with Kara, because you guys know, I love me and a weird person. And yeah, these are kids, but I feel like there are a lot of kids who are aware, or I guess, I don't know. I don't want to like generalize all kids, but <laughs> I love when people in general are aware of like things around them and like how their actions impact other people. And after they slept together, she was just like, oh, uh, I just want to be friends, whatever, which is fine. I feel like you need to have that conversation. But I don't think that she was fully aware of how Pope felt because Pope even said before they even did the do, he was like, I just, and even though she was drunk, I still would have been like, oh, I don't think we should do it. But um, even when he told her he's like I just want to make sure like you really want to do this like this is going to change everything it's going to change our friendship all of this and she's like oh no no we're going to do it and so even in that she still was like ah and so then it was weird between them for a little bit afterwards but Pope had a good because like everyone was kind of like in their feelings because John B and Sarah weren't really talking Pope and Kiara weren't really talking and JJ was just there because he's JJ and Pope had a quotable, love is five minutes of pleasure for a lifetime of pain. I was like, that's a, that is true. <laughs> and then the kids go back to school and I'm like, school, I forgot one about, first of all, I forgot that they have been in school. The kids have been in school in the beginning of the season. So I'm thinking it's summer. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, did this all happen over a weekend? Like what is going on? So the kids go back to school and then we get a vo the voiceover returns in episode eight or seven, at the end of episode seven for some reason. And then we go to episode eight, the cross. So this is when everything around the cross happens. The um, Limbrays take the key from Pope after like the kids do a big like distraction, give them the wrong key. And uh, then they're like, oh no, we want the real key. So they get the real key. They go to the, um, what are the wards last, or what are the wards? <laughs> what is Sarah's family last name? They go to the Cameron's, the Cameron's residence. And uh, this is when they pull in Rafe to help them figure out like where the key leads to because Clara wants to find this cross because in the cross is a piece of cloth that she believes is going to heal her if she touches it. A lot of like biblical and religious um, references throughout this, which was interesting. A lot of like, a lot of religious references, a lot of like history in general. And like the fact that this is all around um, a former free slave who essentially was like the richest black man. And then he was murdered, his, his, Riches were stolen from him. He was murdered. Like the whole story is just like, oh my God. He was murdered um, because he buried his wife that they killed. It was just like <sighs> insane. And so like you could don't like, I feel like you can resonate. And if you can't, then I'm like, you're not even a human being, but you can resonate with the anger um, and frustration that Pope feels throughout this as he continues to learn more about his family's history and as he continues to have these white people which was essentially i'm sorry but the it's the truth of the matter of what was going on in the show as he continues to have these these white people essentially continue to try to steal from his family and it's like and he says that at the end um even though they don't get the the cross but he's like like this that's his family's legacy and he's not gonna lose it and he's gonna fight for it and yeah, I don't know. 
it was very it was very frustrating i was getting so upset as like everything continued to unfold but i got really upset during episode eight because this is when um they find the key and they're like oh what does this lead to they think it that leads them to this tree and so they go and dig thinking they're going to find a cross there but they find a casket which is what i thought they were going to find and it is essentially uh what was her name cecilia which is denmark tanny's wife that he buried under that tree and i was just like these people are so fucking disrespectful because they dug up her grave opened the casket and just left it there and then when they realized that the cross wasn't there they left and i was just like that is so that it was so disrespectful and i was so mad about that so i was glad that the kids were there and they were like no we're going to bury her and put her back to rest because it was just like but then that's when they find out um they find the like telescope thing in the trunk of the tree which leads them to the church which is where the cross actually is which again if the kids planned i feel like they could have went about this a different way but you know they were they've been looking for this cross they find the cross and uh what's his name pope is just like no this is like this is my family legacy like we're going to find this cross so they find it of course it's surrounded by wasps which end up biting pope and he has an allergic reaction almost there's so many near deaths in this season almost dies and um of course they have to leave the cross there and don't realize that they're being watched which i'm like duh you're being watched and so um Limbre's brother or whatever and wraith end up getting the cross and so then that's when uh clara kills her brother or cousin or however he's related to her and then rafe leaves her because like she's crippled she can't go anywhere and takes the cross and he's like i got the cross i'm the man of the household you know pumping his chest while rose essentially has her whole plan her whole plan because she receives something in the mail which comes to find out was from Ward because he's not dead with like the plan for them to essentially escape and start their lives over somewhere else. And that was pretty much episode nine. <laughs> episode 10. So this is when they're on the boat. The kids come up with a semi-dumb, but not well thought out plan on how to get onto this ship that Sarah, Sarah has been drugged. And so that's how she was put on the ship unwillingly, unbeknownst to her, which I was like, when Rose showed up with that tea, I was like, I wouldn't drink the tea, but she drank the tea. And so there you have it. So she's on a ship, she wakes up, finds out her father's still alive, which is like a craziness. And then she's like, I need to call my friends. Like they're probably worried about me, whatever. And he tells her that John B is not looking for her because he gave her or he gave him the cross and like he was fine with that. And so he's not looking for her. And I was just like, Ward is such a pathological liar. And if you've listened to anything that I've talked about related to liars, then you know, I do not like liars. <laughs> so Ward is a pathological liar. Uh, Cleo, of course, is on the boat because why wouldn't she be on the boat? Like, <laughs> as soon as they, that whole thing that was going on with like the smoke or whatever that was happening at the bottom of the boat or the ship and they, we could only hear the person's voice and they wouldn't show uh, who the person was. But I was just like, once I heard the voice, I was like, that's fucking Cleo. And it doesn't even like, of course, Cleo would be on the ship. So she gets looped into the plan to help them escape. Um, oh, I wrote Ward is definitely, oh, Sarah called him once she realizes that he is lying because she escapes and she sees the cross and then she gets, uh, caught because, you know, <laughs> tried to escape and got caught, of course. And she confronts Ward and she calls him greedy, manipulator, liar, murderer. And I was like, yeah, he's definitely all those things. Uh, so then this is like, I'm always like, I'm not going to recap these things, which I don't, but it's hard to like 
for it to feel like you're not recapping where you're like trying to get through and talk about all the things that you want to talk about. And this show is just one of those shows where I just tend to have a lot of notes <laughs> on every episode, which is like insane. Um, but the kids with the help of Cleo come up with this grand plan, which in hindsight should have worked, but the execution just with all things that have happened this season was not there. And so they come up with this plan to essentially trap everyone in a room, get the cross and find Sarah and escape the boat on the lifeboat. Should have worked. Of course it doesn't. Um, everything essentially turns into a shit show. They, um, freaking Ward, once he realizes that Sarah is legitimately like, and also I feel like he had a little bit of wraith in his ear. That sounds like a disease or something, but essentially he had wraith in his ear being like, Sarah's not no longer one of us. She's a pogue. Like you can't save her all of that. And so when he finally realizes that he essentially tried to kill her. And I was like, you really just like Sarah girl, you need a whole new family. Like, cause your family keeps trying to kill you and that is not good. So her father literally tried to kill her with his bare hands the same way her brother tried to kill her. So you had that happen. She has him trapping him in the, um, in the freaking room. But all while all this is happening, so you have Pope trying to get the cross up so that they can get on the boat. You have JJ and Kira together, like trying to trap everyone. You have John B being chased by Rafe throughout the ship. And then you have Sarah like wandering around. <laughs> and so then uh we find out, so then that's when Pope, or Pope, that's when John B, he finds Sarah, but then he also, because, you know, John, because John B, oh my gosh, clearly I've been talking a while because this is when everything starts to get tangled up and mixed up, but <laughs> John B finds freaking, what's his name, Ward trying to kill Sarah, and so then they get into a fight, Ward ends up in his head, John B could end it there and toss him overboard like he did his daddy, but he didn't. And they get on the boat. They essentially find everyone else. JJ in the fight with the, um, I guess you could call him the captain, ends up getting injured and getting butted in the head and then falling overboard. So you have Kiara with him. And then Pope and Cleo narrowly escape being murdered trying to get the cross. Pope tries to drop the cross into the ocean, but Rafe is so obsessed with claiming this cross and wanting to be like, pump up his chest and be like, I got this cross, this cross for my family. But it's like, it's not even yours. It's not your family's. You're stealing from the person whose family it actually belongs to. So like he saves it from being um, dropped into the ocean. So the Camerons essentially escape not only with the gold, but also with the cross, the kids end up stranded on some random island where they're just like, okay, I guess we're just gonna start life over on this random island. And back home, their family's putting up missing poster, um, <laughs> missing, missing poster signs for their kids. And it's just like, oh my gosh, but we're not even done yet. Uh, because of course we end with the voiceover, but so the Camerons go to or where they were, I'm assuming they're going to, where they the plan was for Ward for them to go. But then we end up ending in Bridgeport, Barbados, and Limbre got a letter, and she's following, following this letter to the sender. Come to find out the sender is John B's daddy, who is still alive. Yes, the show is fucking insane. <laughs> it is insane. <laughs> So, yeah, I literally was like, so are we just going to live on this random island with no food, shelter, or anything? I mean, if they're happy, I guess. Uh, I already talked about John B and JJ essentially being orphans, and that kind of ties in when you see at the end, Kiara's parents and um, Pope's father putting up signs, missing, missing child signs. I literally wrote, these are, these are my takeaways now. 
<laughs> I really wrote ridiculousness from beginning to end. So convoluted. Uh, yeah, so let's talk season three. We don't have a confirmation of if we're getting a season three yet. I think last year when this came, when season one came out, <laughs> I, I want to say, but I cannot remember because, you know, a year feels like an eternity based on the past year that we've had. But I want to say that I was like, oh, I don't know if we're going to get a season two or whatever. Because I was like, I don't know how the show is going to perform, but like it literally took off. I told you guys, this is like my most anticipated show of the entire year. Like, hands down, kid you not, this is the only show that I was looking forward to watching. <laughs> so, um, and we're like, we're not going to talk about society because, you know, that's, that's very, a very painful subject, but Outer Banks definitely was number one on my list. And so... Um, I guess it's going to be a little bit last year after season one, I think it was about three months before we found out about if we were getting a season two. I'm hoping that it won't take that long because like, I feel like they, they would know pretty quickly, fairly quickly, um, after if this should get a season two or not. So it hasn't been quite a week yet of the show being out, but based on everything, I'm pretty sure it's. It's definitely been in the top 10. I actually haven't checked, so I'm not sure if it has been a number one, but I don't see why it would not have been a number one. Uh, and then just from based on like some of the articles that I have seen, it sounds like the cast would be up for another season if they were to get one. I mean, I think, do I think we need a season three? Yes, because I want Pope to get his fucking family's legacy back that people keep trying to steal from him. Like that's the only thing that I'm concerned about. <laughs> I'm like, yes, we need a season three because Pope needs to get his family stuff. Like, no, we cannot end that way. Um, so yeah, definitely need to answer that. They need to get the goal. They need to get the cross. Um, so there's definitely more story to tell. When this season, when season two first started, I think it was about halfway through and I was just like, I just don't see us doing like another season after this season two because I just don't see what story we can tell. But based on how we love things, and essentially how we just uh, went in circles to end up back essentially where we started. We do need another season because we need to, there are still questions that need to be answered. Like how did John B's daddy survive? What is going on with that? Pope needs to get his family's belongings back. Like that's number one on the list. Um, are the kids going to go back to Outer Banks or are they just going to try to do a straight shot and go after the cross and the gold? Like, what's going on here. So we do have some questions that we need to answer. Um, I would say, I think season three should be the end. <laughs> Cause if we, if we get a season three and we end season three without them getting the gold or the cross or them unlocking that there's some other treasure that needs to be found, I'm going to be like, you know what? I might have to tap out. I mean, I know that I actually would tap out, but I might have to tap out because then it's like, we find ourselves in um, the challenge that a lot of these shows like this find themselves in, where it's just like, you're essentially recycling, start to recycle storylines or it starts to feel redundant in a way. So I'm hoping we do get a season three. We can answer the questions that we have from season two and we can wrap it up with season three because I think, I think season three, I think season three, I think three seasons for this type of show is a pretty solid offering um, just based on like what everything is about. I do think that some of, some people need to actually really die because we've had a lot of faux deaths and, um, close encounters to death. And so if we're going to do any of that next season, like people need to actually really die <laughs> and we're going to have to be okay with that. Uh, yeah. Anything else that I want to talk about? about season two of Outer Banks? I don't think so. This was, oh my gosh, guys, we talked for over an hour. I told you this was going to be a lengthy one. I think I talked for over an hour for season one as well. So if you listen to season one, then you came into season two with the expectation that we were going to, we were going to have a talk. <laughs> we were going to have a discussion. So yeah, that is season two of Outer Banks. I want to know what you guys thought about season two. Was it as insane for you as it was for me? 
what are the questions that you have for season two? What do you want to see in season three? Do we need a season three? Yes, we need a season three. <laughs> Let me know all of those things. And I will talk to you guys in the next episode. That's the end of the episode. Thanks for sticking through it to the end. Be sure to follow me on all the social media platforms at Currently Benji on Instagram and at Currently Benji Twitter. Also, hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on, and I'll talk to you in the next one.